Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Good morning. Today is the day. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm your host, Carmen LaBerge. Uh, we love to check in with Nicole Phillips uh, from the kindness. Well, I mean, she's got all these books on kindness. She's got all kinds of kindness stories. It's fun to check in with her and be reminded that kindness is still the uh, yeah, it's still the lubricant in our culture today if we're willing to actually use it to change things. So you've got a story for us today. Nicole, welcome back. What's your kindness story you have for us this morning? Hi, Carmen. Do you like football? I do. Okay. Well, I don't, <laughs> but I do love kindness, right? So maybe you'll, maybe you'll get a kick out of this one. Um, the University of Georgia, ranked number three, played Arkansas State recently. and um, That would be Saturday. Nine... Yeah. That would be Saturday that they played. Saturday. Did you see the game? I, I, you know, between the hedges, the Razorbacks and the dogs, did I see the game? What do you think? Okay. Okay. More importantly, what I want to know is, did you see the crowd? Because here's what happened. Pink, 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 right? 92,000 people and someone, someone on the Georgia side said, hey, listen, the opposing coach's wife has been battling cancer for two years. She died a month ago. Her name was Wendy. And they said, in honor of the opposing coach's wife, let's wear pink. And it was amazing. People had painted their bodies, like, remember Wendy and just, did you see that? Oh, so it really, I mean, it chokes me up just thinking about it because, you know, the, you think about college football, particularly in the SEC, for those of you who aren't in the Southeastern Conference, like we take football fairly seriously. And um, for, for the Georgia Bulldogs, whose colors are red and black and white, to um to all show up in pink, ninety two thousand people wearing pink, the stadium full as a really as an outpouring of gracious love for the opposing coach of 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 the Razorbacks. I just yeah, it was it was a redemptive moment in college football on Saturday for sure. It was, and I had breast cancer five years ago, and so people poured out to us, and and it was just so obvious that basketball. My husband's a basketball coach. Basketball is a sport but people are life, you know, and I saw that in this football stadium. And I just thought that was the coolest thing ever. And and it all started because one person, you know, went on social media and said, hey, wouldn't this be cool? So never underestimate what you as one person can do. So because we now know you're not necessarily paying super close attention to college football, um, I have another kindness story for you to research. And I talked about it yesterday um, because also on Saturday, also at an SEC uh, football game, um, there were people wearing something unusual, and that was the University of Tennessee game and the entire marching band for the University of Tennessee and lots of other people in the, in the stands as well were wearing these uh, these T-shirts that are now official logo wear of the University <gasps> of Tennessee. That is yeah, the yeah, yeah. that is the artwork by a little fourth grader in Florida who was bullied because he made this homemade you know, homemade T-shirt. So no, you got to check that out. That's a, that's a kindness story for you as well. I 
know that story. I've been following that, and I think it's just the coolest thing ever, ever. See, ever. You're, you, you are a fo- you are a football fan. We're gonna we're, you are a football fan. All right, <laughs> Nicole, thank you so much. You guys can check Take it out care. at NicoleCPhillips.com, and you can also uh, join her for conversations on Facebook. We'll be right back. Doctor, my eyes have seen the years and the slow parade of fears. All right, I am joined now by Dr. David Stevens from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. You can find them at cmda.org or on Twitter, CMDA National. Dr. Stevens, welcome back. It's good to be with you, Carmen. Okay, so I really, I, I have two headlines that I, um, you know, like burning up my own feed that I want to talk with you about. Um, Purdue Pharma filing bankruptcy protection in this opioids uh, epidemic case across the country. You and I may have to hold for another day, but um, that is certainly one we want to talk about. And then vaping. So let's let's start with the vaping issue. Um, We have touched on this in the past. Remind people what vaping is, because I will admit to you, um, you know, I feel like my husband should be sort of in the know on things because I am. And I made reference, like casual reference to vaping the other day. And he looked at me and he said, I don't have any idea what that is. So first of all, tell people what vaping is. And then um, and then just fill us in, because a lot has changed just in the last couple of weeks in terms of our sense of the gravity of the situation across the country. Yeah. Well, vaporizer is uh, what it is. It's a handheld battery operated vaporizer. It takes uh, liquid and heats it uh, and turns it into something that's a vapor and you breathe it in. Um, There's a little cartridge in it and a heating element. And as people suck in, the liquid is released. It hits the hot uh, area of that uh, heating element and vaporizes into almost like a a steam. And uh, then they breathe it in. It gets very deeply into the lungs. And one of the reasons this, uh, you know, has been a problem initially is brought in saying, well, this will help people get off cigarettes. They they won't get as many carcinogens or other things that are in regular cigarette smoke. And that was the idea behind these uh, e-cigarettes or ENDS, electronic nicotine delivery systems, E-E-N-D-S, sometimes they're called. And what's happened is it's actually turned into an on-ramp uh, to cigarette use. And part of the problem with the addiction of these, Carmen, is that they are putting flavorings in them. And that is very attractive, especially to, to teenagers. And guess how many flavors they have? Over 7,700 with 242 new flavors a month. I didn't know there were that many flavors in the world, but they're favored like juice boxes, cereal, candy, fruit, you name it, it's out there. And they're targeting kids with this, middle school and high school kids. About uh, 75% of what's out there is produced by a company called Juul out of California. Uh, these e-cigarettes were originally started and created in China and then exported here. You can buy uh, one of these uh, utensils for doing this uh, for $30 up to $300, depending on how fancy you get. So it's a huge problem, and it's nicotine, and that's what you're getting is lots of nicotine. But you also can put THC, which is the psychoactive substance of uh, marijuana in it. You can put heroin. You can put cocaine. You can put other substances in there in, in a liquid form and vaporize them. And a lot of those are being bootlegged 
into cartridges and uh, given out as well. So this is causing an enormous epidemic, for want of a better term. Um, If you want to know what's going on in your own community, just put the word vape or vaping um, in in your search engine. Um, You know, I like to call it the Googler, but put it in your search engine. Put the word vape or vaping and then just put the name of your town. Um, And you will you might be surprised to learn that you have vaping cafes, that you certainly have vaping retail stores right where you are. And um, and, you know, you should you should check this out in your own community. Um, and you should absolutely have a conversation with uh, the people at your local schools about this issue and people in youth ministry. This is actually something that we as adults must engage in and we must intervene now um, and, because our kids' lives are at risk. Let's talk about that, Dr. Stevens. This is not just uh, a habit that may produce a nicotine addiction that may down the road cause cancer. This is something taking the lives of kids now. It is. And there's over 400 cases where kids have come in with sudden onset of cough, shortness of breath, chest pain, and uh, admitted directly into the ICU, end up on respirators. Uh, uh, over a dozen have already died, and it's it's a serious illness. And you talk about how common this is. Two out of five 12th graders have vaped in the last year, and one out of five have, da- have vaped in the last uh, 30 days. And those that do it say they're doing it for the flavors. That's what uh, how they're getting to these kids. They're putting it on social media. They're putting on banner ads on the Internet. It's the cool thing to do. Uh, the rate of this increasing use is almost doubling per year, 50 to 100 percent increase over the last three or four years. So, I mean, this is an epidemic. And it's going on around your kids if it's not going on with your kids and uh, the dangers of this. You know, you talk about yeah, nicotine addiction, but nicotine actually uh, disturbs the ability to think. It, it causes problems with emotions. These are very high levels of nicotine. It's been associated with seizure uh, happening in kids that shouldn't have them, uh, as well as this terrible lung disease where it actually gets so deep into the lungs uh, that it it uh, causes the destruction of the air sacs and the small tubes that are carrying oxygen. And that's uh, they're not sure which of the things in this is doing. It can be contamination. It could be those from the, the tetrahydrocannabinol, the, the marijuana extract. Still not sure after a couple of months trying to figure this out, what exactly is causing this. There's heavy metals. There's propylene glycol. You know what that is? That's what antifreeze is, propylene glycol in these liquids. And they thicken the liquids so that it'll vaporize better. And some of the, nobody knows what's in there. This industry is totally unregulated, and uh, it's very serious. All right. I am talking with Dr. David Stevens from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. We are talking about vaping. Uh, And not only the threat to our kids, um, when we come back, I'm going to ask him about secondhand vape. Like what am I, I mean, like, right, what's going on in our communities as well in terms of of the secondary effects of this? We'll be right back. Returning to my conversation with Dr. David Stevens from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. Uh, You can find them online at cmda.org. And I want to talk with you, Dr. Stevens, about the power of love and how love can lessen our physical pain um, and a book that came in the mail at my house this week. Um, But I want to finish the conversation about vaping in this way. I think that everybody who's listening right now 
can um, can be an active agent in in terms of the the vaping concern by going to your local municipality and at least at least at a minimum have vaping included in what is illegal in public spaces like right have it added to the list of prohibited um, activities in terms of smokeless environments um, and so that would be I and mean, there's there's something like I don't know more than twenty thousand local municipalities in uh, in the United States of America. Uh, in terms of actual local governments, and only uh, like 800 and some of those have uh, have included vaping in terms of what's not legal in in public spaces where other smoking is prohibited. So it's at least a step in the direction that you and your local community could take to raise awareness about vaping and the dangers of it, and in your own local community, do something that's proactive on this front. Do you have other ideas for folks in terms of proactivity on this, uh, Dr. Stevens? Yeah. Well, states, some states are banning it. New York just did uh, flavors in particular and also making it illegal in public places. The federal government is getting involved now and uh, they're increasing, uh, you know, looking at compliance. I think there were 4,000 warning letters sent out in the last 12 months, uh, over almost 1,000 money penalties for, for marketing to children and young people. And then they're starting huge campaigns to educate schools and and students called the real cost of this. They know that this is not a way to get out of regular smoking. It actually onboards people to smoke. Seventy-five percent of kids that vape end up smoking regular cigarettes as well, and they do both. So this is a huge issue. Talk to your kids about it. Uh, discuss it with them. What's going on at school? Let's have a conversation. This isn't cool. This isn't the flavors is the thing that's attracting them. And I think handling that's going to help some of this. But we have a higher layer level of vaping now than we had of regular smoking in 1996, whereas regular smoking in 1996 was about 37 percent of 12th graders. Now it's down to less than 2 percent. But vaping's replaced it. So this week um, I got a book in the mail. Um, and it's by a guy named David Stevens. And it's um, the copyright date is, you know, not this week or even this year. Um, and the foreword is written by uh, Dr. Paul Brand, who people uh, who are listening right now will recognize because we recently had a conversation um, uh, with Philip Yancey about uh, a rewrite of uh, of two books that they wrote. Uh, they wrote together. So anyway, it's just a it, it's interesting um how Jesus MD, a doctor examines the great physician, just just arrived here this week, and I simply wanted to say thank you for the gift of the book. Um, and I also wanted to, uh, you know, commit over time to unpacking some of the chapters of the book with you here in our regular conversations on the show, because what a blessing it is to have a physician um, help me better understand Jesus as the great physician. And what a great book to give as a gift to um, to somebody in in the healthcare uh, field who maybe is searching or maybe is a Christian and doesn't quite see all of the connective tissue there between themselves and Jesus. It absolutely is. It's, you know, I remember years ago when I was younger, I read a book called The Shepherd Examines the 23rd Psalm. And through the eyes of this guy that it was actually a shepherd, I understood Christ as as the shepherd of our lives in a way I never had before. And that was kind of the inspiration for writing this book. It's full of stories uh, and that really illustrate the point of how Christ 
as a great physician, where it's actually recorded more times in the four gospel of him healing than of him preaching or teaching. And so he used health care and helping people uh, to draw them to himself and then introduce them to his father. And the book's written for everyone. I mean, it says Jesus MD, but it's a, it's a, it's great for people in healthcare, but it's good for everyone because it helps you see Christ from a new perspective. And we've been talking about touch and, and uh, talk in that chapter that I wrote in there about that, the, how Christ touched people that nobody else would touch and how touch is so therapeutic for us in our lives with our children, with our uh, spouses, with our family and how touch can uh, can make such a difference. And science backs that up. Um, you know, a great study that shows that if if you're with someone you love, even just your presence in the room, but especially touching, holding hands, putting a hand on the shoulder, giving a hug, how therapeutic it is. It actually decreases pain, improves uh, mood and all sorts of things. And Christ did that with people touching the leper and other people, the woman with the issue of blood who, you know, would contaminate someone if she touched them, especially a holy person, a priest, and and yet she touched Christ and he turned around and you read that story and as I, as I wrote about it, I thought, you know, I bet you after she was healed and he talked to her, he put his arm around her shoulder because no one else would touch her. And uh, there's some great stories from uh, my time overseas of how touch uh, touched uh, people's not only lives, but touch their hearts and their minds and help bring them to Christ. I feel like anybody who um, has read Fearfully and Wonderfully, the the, the books by Paul Brand and, um, and Philip Yancey, they're going to love the new one, which is just called Fearfully and Wonderfully, The Marvel of Bearing God's Image. Philip Yancey was, uh, was on with me to talk about that book. Uh, and then I got this one, um, Jesus MD, the, A Doctor Examines the Great Physician, and you wrote it, and the foreword is by uh, Paul Brand. And I just... You know, I was just particularly thankful again for him and his witness and testimony. And um, and I just so appreciate what you guys are doing at CMDA, um, just helping sort of reconnect what has become very disconnected. I think healthcare is often disconnected from our experience of our bodies as temples of the Holy Spirit and our experience of of people who, you know, are in the hands of the great physician ultimately. And so thank you for helping us reconnect those things uh, each and every day in life. Well, you're saying Paul Brand's name. It just touched him because he was a friend and one of our members and spoke for us many times. And one of my best memories is taking him back to the airport in San Diego and having an hour-long talk to him with him. And it was just one of those things you'll treasure the rest of your life. So he taught me a lot, and and it's been my pleasure to reach out and touch other hearts as well. Well, we just really appreciate it. That's Dr. David Stevens from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. You can find them online at cmda.org. Check out the book, Jesus MD, A Doctor Examines the Great Physician. We'll be right back. So we're going to spend a little time uh, just talking with each other here in the final segment of today's show about a number of headlines. And we're going to we're certainly going to spend some time talking about the redefinition of journalism and how it is now uh, it now encompasses not only commentary and analysis, but straight up opinion and how to uh, be able to discern between some of those threads as you are reading what is out there. Um, in the world today. I'm also going to touch about a story, a touch on a story out of Duke University 
I um uh, part of my uh, journey to faith includes the ministry of an organization called Young Life, and Young Life has now been um, uh, stricken from the list of student government uh, organizations that are allowed on the campus of Duke University. And why is that? Well, because they have a biblical uh, understanding of God's design for human sexual relationships. And so I want to talk about that, and I want to talk about um, what's happening not only on university campuses, but with journalism today as a way of helping us actually see clearly the culture in which we live. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Lying, aggression, anger, mood swings, new friends, changes in sleep patterns, all of these are red flags that your teen may be abusing drugs. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. When I was growing up, parents didn't worry about drugs until their teens got to high school. But these days, kids are beginning to experiment at younger and younger ages. So if you got a hunch about your teen's behavior, don't be afraid to administer a drug test every few weeks, unannounced, even if they squeal and protest. Your teen needs to know how serious you are about keeping drugs out of their life, even if it means putting them in rehab or reporting them to authorities. Better a few days behind bars than a lifetime in the grip of drugs. Want more help from Mark Gregston? Find books and other resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. So you're going to get uh, a little like just straight up Carmen commentary here for the next few minutes. Uh, so thank you in advance for giving me your feedback via the text line at 877-933-2484. Um, a couple of stories. I want to, um, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to take a headline. We're going to apply the mind of Christ and we're going to really consider, you know, how we as Christians in the culture today uh, can do what God has sent us forth to do, which is to make him known to other people, not just uh, in content, but in character. So one of the things that we have now heard uh, in the headline news at the top of uh, of every half hour of, of today's program, and you're going to hear it uh, throughout the conversations in the culture today, is this chatter about the release of a book that's entitled The Education of Brett Kavanaugh. Now, Brett Kavanaugh is one of the justices of the United States Supreme Court, um, the New York Times, arguably the most influential newspaper in the nation, issued uh, issued an article and then subsequently a pair of corrections related to that article uh, that appeared on the opinion page of their publication. The article is about the book. The book is about U.S. Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh, um, and he's clearly in the crosshairs of this particular author. So at the center of the New York Times story is the allegation, is an allegation against Brett Kavanaugh, um, but the woman uh, who was allegedly, uh, you know, traumatized, victimized and harmed um, was not willing to go on record uh, about any of it. In fact, her friends say she has no recollection whatsoever of the events that are chronicled in uh, in the book and then in the article in the in the New York Times. So how did the book get published? How are the authors being platformed today on MSNBC, CBS and The View, which, by the way, the only way to sell a lot of books today is to get on TV um, and so that's they have done that. They have been featured in The New York Times. They have gotten uh, on television. They will sell lots of copies of this book. Um, and then how did the New York, New York Times get involved 
in what amounts to uh, a PR campaign for a piece of fiction that is masquerading as truth or as journalism. Journalism here is the is the issue uh, I want to point to. Journalism. Ask yourself, uh, just you know, right now, just ask yourself, like, what what do I think journalism is? What what do I think it is? Do I think that it is fictional creative writing? Uh, do I think it is absolutely just pure opinion of whoever's name is attached to the byline? Or do I actually think that journalism, by definition, is the accurate reporting of factual information? Okay, that's that's the historical understanding of journalism. But I am here to tell you that has changed. Uh, and, and so if you are still operating uh, out of an understanding that journalism, journalists, journalism, journalistic outlets, uh, the media are purveyors of factual information uh, about real events, um, that is not what they understand any longer about themselves. So here's a quote that I think is really uh, illuminating in terms of this conversation. The editor of the New York Times opinion section has said of this whole thing, quote, opinion produces powerful journalism. Opinion produces powerful journalism. That is what the editor of the New York Times opinion section understands he is doing. He is putting forward in front of readers opinion that produces powerful journalism. Now, I want you to think about those words. Opinion produces powerful and journalism. Let's take journalism first. Because journalism, by its very definition, and I'm drawing this from Merriam-Webster, you know, sort of the definitive, uh, well, I don't know, can a dictionary be definitive? It's a it's definitive because it's right. OK, well, anyway, by definition, journalism is by definition, not opinion. According to Merriam-Webster, journalism is by definition, number one, the collection and editing of news for presentation through the media. It is the public press. It is an academic study concerned with the collection and editing of news, the management of a news medium. The secondary definition of journalism is writing that's designed for publication in a newspaper or magazine, writing characterized by, get this, a direct presentation of facts, description of events without an attempt at interpretation, writing designed to appeal to current popular taste or public interest. Journalism is fact-based. That is, has been our understanding all along. It continues to be the primary definition in uh, in the dictionary today. However, we have an editor at the New York Times on the record saying opinion produces powerful journalism. They admit they are producing opinion, opinion pieces that are designed to do what? To powerfully move people who trust that what they're receiving is journalism when in fact it is not. So unless you acknowledge that the current cultural definition of journalism has changed that, and that there is no longer a news reporting function so much as I don't know, politically partisan advocacy outlets, uh, news that is shaped by opinion, designed to turn and shape the reader and the culture. Like, I, I think we have to get to the place where we understand that's what's going on through most or at least many journalist, journalistic outlets today. So how did this happen? Well, um, it, it happened over the course of time. It didn't happen, you know, it didn't literally happen overnight. 
If you go back to uh, 2006, which is, you know, it's really not that long ago in terms of, of history. If you go back to 2006, there were only 35.8 million blogs worldwide. Those are web-based blogs, uh, you know, people uh, bloviating online about whatever comes to their mind um, and however it is that they might articulate it out into the public conversation of the day. 35.8 million blogs worldwide 13 years ago. You might think that's a big number today. There are more than 600 million blogs. I have one. You can go to reconnectwithcarmen.com and you can read what Carmen thinks about things. Carmen is commentating there all the time. Uh, and, and everyone else has a blog as well, or at least 600 million of my friends around the world think that their ideas ought to be put out there into public for the consumption of others. Um, you may have one, a digital platform where we report life through a particular lens, one that is our very own. Now, during the same period of time in which we have this proliferation of sort of uh, eye reporting out there, whatever is happening uh, in the world and in our lives, we have the reduction, pretty dramatic reduction of the circulation of actual newspapers written by actual journalists. So in that same period of time, 2006 to today, where we have this just explosion of blogs, we have the reduction of uh, print journalist newspapers, like new real newspapers, the reduction of circulation from 62 million to under 28 million today. So we're now getting our news, not from news outlets, but from our neighbors and our friends and whatever filter they're applying to the stories of the day. So what you're reading is very often not news. What you're reading is someone's opinion. It is viewpoint journalism at best. It is commentary. Uh, it is straight up opinion in many cases. So uh, I want you to consider for just a moment that I just delivered a paragraph um, that you now have to choose whether or not to believe or not. I told you that in October of, tw of 2006, just over 13 years ago, there were 35.8 million bloggers worldwide, and today there are more than 600 million. Do you believe that? Do you trust me? Do you think I'm telling you the truth? I also told you that the circulation of actual newspapers with articles written by actual journalists during that same period of time declined from 62 million to under 28 million. Do you believe that? Do you trust that that's true? Why? Because I tell you the truth day in and day out, um, because I, I regard the truth as much more important than my feelings about things or my viewpoint. I am seeking to actually discern what is true, true truth, that which aligns with reality, that which is honest to God, who is uh, goodness, beauty and truth. Because I'm a purveyor of the truth and a disciple of the one who is the truth and seeking to walk in the way of the truth and deliver the truth day in and day out. Do I do so through a lens? Yes, my worldview, which is biblical. So do you. So does everybody else around you. And so as you are consuming what is parading itself out there publicly as news, I want you to ask, what is the worldview of the person who is communicating this? What lens are they communicating through? And is this straight-up news, actual journalism, or is this viewpoint journalism, opinion, or commentary? Like, we've got to be asking ourselves that. All right. Uh, when we come back from the break, I'm going to talk about this story out of Duke University where the Ministry of Young Life is no longer allowed on campus as a campus group. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I totally want a revolution in answer to the question the song is posing. Uh, I want a gospel revolution. I want to see the world impacted uh, with the gospel and the way that that happens every day is that you and I 
walk our faith out into the world that God so loves as living demonstrations of the fullness of the beauty of the gospel in all of its truth. That's the, I, I want a revolution. Absolutely. Um, and so this headline uh, troubles me. This story troubles me. It's uh, out of Duke University. Here is the lead. The Duke Student Government Senate unanimously declined to recognize Young Life as an official Duke student group at its Wednesday meeting. Um, why do I care? <clears throat> why sh- what, what relevance does this have in any of our lives? Well, okay, so it's a window into what's happening at one of the premier educational institutions of, uh, you know, of higher learning here in the United States of America, Duke University. Um, a student government, duly elected uh, senators in the student government, unanimously, which means there's nobody currently serving on the student government who thinks that um, a ministry like Young Life belongs on their campus as a student chapter. This is not Young Life uh, corporate seeking to have a presence on the campus of a university. This is a group of students affiliated with Young Life who want to be recognized as a student organization in order that, you know, uh, when there's that student organization day, they can everybody can have a table and they can have a table as well amidst all the other tables, which uh, it's notable the kinds of organizations that are receiving funding from the uh, the Senate. Uh, On the same day, this Duke Student Government Senate also unanimously approved money funding for a Duke Spoken Verb Club poet feature event um, and chartered the Sikh Society, which is a club aiming to create community among those following Sikhism uh, at Duke, as well as raising awareness uh, on religion in general. But not Christianity, not not the Christian faith, anything but the Christian faith. We'll give funding to anything uh, and allow any student group to form and meet. And so you say to yourself, well, maybe Young Life is naughty. Um, I am a person who came to faith uh, living, vibrant, active, all in faith through the ministry of Young Life. My Young Life leader in high school, her name is Kathy Connor. Um, I owe her uh, a debt of grace that I could never measure. Um, I had grown up in the church, but I will tell you that until a person who who loved me and listened to me and made Jesus Christ known to me in a way that I could apprehend as a teenager, um, living in a in a moment of desperation just after my dad died. I mean, it, without without a person walking into my life intentionally and sharing the good news of who God is and what God has done in Jesus Christ, I wouldn't be doing this today, most certainly. Um, and I'm, I, might, I might be hellbound as opposed to heavenbound. And so uh, when I went to the University of Florida, guess what my group affiliation was? I did not join a sorority. Um, I did not join other clubs. I was a part of Young Life. I, I was uh, raised up into an understanding of ministry through Young Life. An on-campus presence at the University of Florida, which, by the way, happens to be a secular um, school. I don't know if you've heard that about the University of Florida, but it is true. Um, and so, you know, Kathy Connor, as my Young Life leader in high school, kind of passed me off to Robert Morris, who was the Young Life area director in Gainesville, uh, Florida at the time. Um, and and through through Robert Morris and, and his wife, Virginia, you know, is not only mentored in my own faith, but mentored in the skills that are necessary for the communication of the gospel to other people. Like, I am who I am. I do what I do uh, and the way that I do it in no small measure because of the ministry of Young Life. 
And you say to yourself, well, what is it? Well, Young Life is a national Christian organization that serves middle and high school students um, across the country and around the world now. Um, they have uh, they have urban Young Life. They now have global Young Life. They have Young Life camps and conferences and weekly clubs. And, uh, and it really is a ministry that is designed to communicate the gospel of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done to teenagers in ways that they can apprehend. So it is not the church, but it does come alongside the church to communicate the gospel in ways that teenagers can hear in the culture um, today. Does that sound threatening to you? Um, and it, 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 I was actually surprised to know that, I mean, I'm not surprised to learn that young life uh, has a biblical ethic in relationship to sexuality. I was surprised to learn that um, that that is what is in contention. Why? Because when I was at the University of Florida, um, I can tell you that in our young life uh, community of student leaders, although we we all committed to live within certain boundaries of uh, of behavior, um, I am aware that more than one person that was engaged actively in the ministry. Um, is also homosexual. So I, I found this just kind of astonishing because it's not a student uh, group that is, uh, that is uh, asking you what your gender identity is uh, or what your, uh, you know, what your sexual identity is. It's asking you to live within the bounds. If you're going to be a student leader in Young Life, it's asking you to live within the bounds of a of a biblical sexual ethic. Um, so that is what is going on at Duke University. And um, I intend to, um, I, I might find a Young Life person to come on and talk about this a little bit more because I, I feel like uh, what's happening in the culture is that we are, we are limiting opportunities for Christians to speak, even while we are expanding uh, the opportunities of everyone else to speak and oftentimes to speak against or contrary to a biblical sexual ethic uh, that we derive from the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. All right, let's take one more quick break and then we'll be back to wrap it up here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, if you were asked to amend your rules, amend uh, your standards in order to um, be allowed to speak in a particular environment, would you do that? That's the question that I think is in front of us as people engaging the culture today. Uh, my answer is no. Uh, I'm not going to change the standard um, that comes from the Bible in order to have a platform. I will, however, take every platform that is offered to me to advance the gospel, always and in all ways. I encourage you to do the same. You have a platform. You have an opportunity. You have an audience. You may not think of it that way, but every conversation in which you are engaged has the potential to be a gospel conversation uh, that's a part of a gospel revolution in the culture today. And so let me encourage you, um, if you, uh, you know, I'm thinking back here to my conversation that I had today with Judy Douglas. Um, if you love a prodigal or you know someone who loves a prodigal and you missed my conversation with Judy Douglas today, please go back and get that. Uh, Paul Perot will have the podcast of this show posted uh, within a few hours. It will be at MyFaithRadio.com under the Morning with Carmen page. And we really encourage you to share the ministry with other people by going uh, to the website, MyFaithRadio.com, clicking on the Mornings with Carmen page, finding the podcast that's of interest to you or that was impactful to you, or that as you were listening to it, you thought, wow, that could really be a ministry to my friend 
so-and-so. That could really be a ministry to my mom. That could really be a ministry to my kid. Let me pass that along uh, to someone else. So uh, please do that. Take advantage of what we offer at MyFaithRadio.com. Pass it along to someone else. Check out my blog, Among Those 600 Million, at ReconnectWithCarmen.com. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.